Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Here, what makes a good faith in action volunteer is keeping correct motivation. And what I mean by that is, is and I tell all of our volunteers during our orientation, this very thing that we have to keep our eye on the need because, you know, with our recipients, we have some really wonderful people that will, that are so grateful for every little kindness that's done for them that will absolutely worship the ground that you walk on as a volunteer, will thank you profusely, and you'll go away on a cloud. And then we have some or some recipients that are a little cantankerous. <laughs> Maybe life's just not been good to them and they haven't really smiled since sometime in the 60s. And, oh, oh. Yeah, and nothing, you know, nothing that you do is really gonna change that. You're gonna get criticized for being in the wrong lane, for parking too far away, for anything. So if a volunteer's motivation is to get stroked, if a volunteer's motivation is to receive that gratitude all the time, they're probably not gonna be a long-lived volunteer. But if they can recognize that that cantankerous person and that sweet, lovely, grateful person have the very same need and they're meeting that need if that's what can motivate them then they're with us long term and i, I gotta say that we very seldom lose any volunteers hello wine and dine listeners amy irvine here today's special guest is dick russell dick and i have known each other for a very long period of time and in honor of national volunteer Awareness Week and National Volunteer Week, Dick and I sat down to talk about one of my passion projects, which is Faith in Action. For many, many years, I have been either a volunteer or a board member for Faith in Action, and it is truly one of my passions. I spend a lot of um, time and pleasure working with people and keeping them in their homes uh, in their later years of life, and this organization has helped me certainly fulfill that particular drive. I hope you very much enjoy this episode with Dick Russell and myself. And as I always say, sit on back, sip your favorite beverage, glass of wine, tea, beer, whatever it might be, and enjoy this episode of Wine and Dime. You are listening to Wine and Dime, a podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today's guest is very special in my heart. His name is Dick Russell, and he is the executive director for an organization that I have been involved with since 2005 called Faith in Action Steuben County. I've been on the board several times, had to take a required leave of absence and then came back on the board. So that's how much this organization and this gentleman means to me. Dick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. It's nice to be here. One of the reasons that I wanted Dick on the show is a, a couple of things, actually. As we head into the summer, um, we start as as board members of Faith in Action and as the organization itself, we start to see an increased number of need within the organization. And I thought that would be a great time for people that are maybe going on summer break to be thinking about what they might want to be doing this summer um, and maybe how they might want to be volunteering. 
So as most people know, I like to open up each episode as a reminder that our lives are very similar to a vineyard. I can pretty much relate anything back to a vineyard given any opportunity. (laughs) We're all different, like wines are different. We have, you know, our our favorite wines, um, favorite parts of maybe our vineyard, uh, our flavor or the, the way that we behave is influenced by what's around us and how we were nourished and, you know, our experiences. So I would love to hear how you became connected with such a wonderful organization and sort of what your journey or what your beginning, middle and current stage of your vineyard looks like. Oh, and don't forget, I've got to ask you, what's your favorite wine? I like Dr. Constantine Frank's Riesling. Is it the fruitiness of it? It is. I like to I like to drink it and I like to cook with it too. <laughs> well, we love to we love to promote our local Finger Lakes winery. So if you are somebody who likes a dry wine but likes fruit to that wine, that particular wine is definitely a, a good recommendation. Thank you for for sharing that with me. Sure. And hopefully at the end, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what you like to pair it with since you'd like to cook with it. So, so tell us a little bit about how, you know, you became the executive director and definitely, you know, explain what faith in action does. And I think people will understand why I'm so passionate about it. Okay. Well, it was interesting how I got involved with faith in action back in 1995 is when the organization actually started in Hornell. It was called at that time Interfaith Volunteer Caregivers Program of the Greater Hornell Area. Uh, Quite a mouthful. (laughs) But the first director, her name was Tippy Irwin, uh, she made a presentation at the church we were attending at the time. And uh, I leaned over to my wife, Kathy, and said, you know, when the kids get grown up, This is an organization I'd really like to be involved with. Just love the mission, which was and is uh, to help the elderly, help our older neighbors to continue to live independently. So that went on hold as, you know, as life moved on, as the little league and dance classes and all the stuff of having kids goes. I was working with Hillside Children's Center, which is another great organization, um, and a program helping basically juvenile delinquents do some community service to help get them turned back on the right path. And uh, that program was grant funded and it seemed like it was going to be ending. So I started putting feelers out and heard about the, the executive directorship at Faith in Action, or at that time that IVCP, uh, was, was open. So on a somewhat of a whim, I just put in a resume and got interviewed, got interviewed again and uh, got the job. So that was 2003, August of 2003. So it sounds like you were always driven to always work in a line of service. You know, not always. Um, I actually started out, I won't say, yeah, maybe I will say directionless. Um, I took whatever job I could get, uh, worked at a lumber yard for a while, did some construction and roofing, built pipe organs for a year down in Texas, and came up here, worked in factories, and always would start out as a laborer and rise up to be a supervisor because, you know, it was always my goal was just to, to improve the situation and lead people, I guess. Well, it got to be that I recognized that there was, I felt I needed to be doing something more than than making bathroom furniture, which is what I was doing in a factory at the time, and started taking some human service courses at, uh, through Empire State College. And through that, um, I ended up going to work for the Allegheny Arc, working with developmentally disabled individuals in their homes. Yeah. And then managing homes. I did that for about a decade. That's where my human service uh, experience started. And I really loved it ever since I've been doing it. I felt like I've 
I've uh, hit my niche, I guess. So as a kid, were you included in conversations about service and money and, you know, all of those? Because the reason I ask that question is because human services is not necessarily known for high paying jobs, a very, very rewarding emotionally, maybe, but not financially. No, that's, that's true. When I was young, our, our family, family was always important. We had huge family, actually. I only had three sisters, but my parents came from really big families. Um, father had nine brothers and sisters. Mother had 12 brothers and sisters. So, yeah. So we had a lot of cousins, some of whom I still don't know their names. <laughs> so we were always involved with family. We were going around and and if anyone had a need, you were there helping. Um, so that's a big part of it. We also had uh, a lot of neighbors, and it was just instilled in us that we would help our elderly neighbors. If they needed their lawn mowed, I'd go over and mow it. If they needed their shovels, their, their walks shoveled, we'd be out doing that. So there was always that kind of service going on. Mm-hmm. Were, was a was money ever a conversation that you had in your household or expectations at all? I would say not directly, but I, I always remember that my mother was the one that took care of the the bills. We we had a I wouldn't say we were dirt poor, but fam, mom and dad both worked jobs, um, didn't make a ton of money. Small town, though you could you could get by, and of course we never knew we were poor. Mm-hmm. But my mother was very frugal. I mean, super frugal. Did all the canning, and and coming from a family the size that she did, uh, she knew every trick in the book to to stretch a potato to a meal. So, <laughs> so I would I would walk downtown with her. We lived in town, and on payday, <clears throat> she would take me with her. And there was these little stores, a furniture store, clothing store, uh, an appliance store in town, pharmacy and so on, a small town. And some of these stores would have club accounts where she would go down and put $2 a week into a club account at the furniture store, $2 a week at the uh, clothing store and so on. Uh, So as that built up over the course of, of a lot of time, now we'd get a new couch or we'd, <laughs> she'd, she'd be able to get some new clothes. And what she often did with that, with that, especially with the clothing account, is she would give that away to somebody that didn't have what we had. So, yeah, that was a, a good way to learn about the value of a dollar. So though the concept behind that right there, when I think of um, human service or non-for-profit organizations, I mean, that's kind of how you have to operate, right? You, you don't have a lot of wiggle room with your financial structure and you have to be extremely creative and frugal because the funds are coming from people that donate and have a very high expectation to how their dollars are going to be stretched. So those early lessons really have helped you and molded you to become the perfect executive director, in my opinion. Well, I certainly appreciate because- that. <laughs> <laughs> So when you applied for the job for what is now Faith in Action, Steuben County, um, and, I, and I say that with just, I want to give just a little bit of background. When I first started volunteering for Faith in Action in 2005, it was still the Interfaith Volunteers uh, Organization. That didn't change until what, 2009, 10? I think we, when I was hired in 2003, we were, we were working on that transition. We didn't actually get our, our DBA, our Doing Business as Faith in Action, Steuben County, until I believe it was 2009. Okay. And the idea behind that was because we didn't want to just be the Hornell area. At that time, we were trying to think even bigger at that point. And I can remember, it's one of my fondest moments, um, when we made the decision, and I was so honored to be on the board at that time, to actually expand into the eastern side of Steuben County, because it was predominantly just in the western side of the Hornell area. 
Um, and it was such a, it was, it was such a, an emotional decision for the board and for everybody involved and would we have the resources and would we be stretching ourselves some more? And, and now we're being requested even outside of Steuben County. So it just, you know, again, shows the, the need for the services that are being offered um, the core mission of the organization. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about, because I know faith in action as much as a passion for you as it is for me. Um, yes, you are the executive director, but I think it takes an executive director that's really passionate about this organization to stay, first of all, as long as you have, and secondly, to grow it in the same manner um, that it has been grown. So talk a little bit about the core vision and the passion of faith in action. Well, that's that's an easy one. People have needs, <laughs> especially you look at our elderly folks as they age, as we age. I shouldn't say they because, you know, I'm getting up there myself. <laughs> so as we age, uh, our abilities uh, decrease a little bit. We lose a little bit of our edge um, and it makes things hard, makes things more difficult. Well, who's there to help? Fortunately, for Steuben County, we've got this program, Faith in Action, where people that want to give some of their time have a great place to do that, to help out individuals that have lost a little of that independence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when I started back in 2003, Faith in Action, or IVCP at the time, served basically three towns, just Hornell, they were called Hornell, Parkport, Canisteo. I got a call probably within the first couple of weeks of being there uh, from someone in in a town that was 25 miles away who this lady uh, gave a very sad story about having cancer and having to get to cancer treatments at at a place in Hornell, 25 miles away. We had no volunteers in this area, which was Wayland. Mm -hmm. And so I just started calling up our volunteers in Hornell and Arkport and asking if they'd be willing to go and get this lady from Wayland and bring her to Hornell for her treatments. Mind you, this was five days a week uh, for six straight weeks. And we were paying at that time 32 cents a mile reimbursement, which transferred to $160 a week for us. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but on our budget, trust me, it was. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So we were able to find volunteers to do that. And this lady was was able to get to her treatments. And then we served her beyond until she finally did succumb to the cancer. But it inspired me to start talking to pastors and community groups outside of the area we were serving to try to expand this program. And that's been that's been very successful. As hard as it is to find volunteers, when you really can can present the need that's truly out there, when you can really tell some stories like that one about what the need is and how it doesn't take a whole lot of time for someone to make a big dent in that. That's how we now last year, I think, served 29 different zip codes. I did not realize that as a board member that it was 29. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, Steuben County has 32. So. Oh, okay. Okay. So we're only, so we're talking, we really are serving a lot of the county. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny how we think of things in our head and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking of five, you know, zip codes in Steuben County off the top of my head. And, and so I'm thinking too narrowly, but yeah, that in Steuben County is a very large county. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I think I had heard statistics that said there's as much land mass in Steuben County is the state of New Hampshire. Is that right? Uh, Rhode Island. <clears throat> Rhode yes. Island. Okay. One of the, okay. As much as the state of Rhode Island, actually more than the state of Rhode Island. And with, with really, what, like 95,000 people spread amongst that space. So you're talking about an extremely rural area as well. And typically some of the services, I know when I've done volunteer work, the things that I've done is like take people to a doctor's appointment or take people to a hair appointment or 
run to the grocery store or um, I know other people have just picked up the phone and, you know, done a friendly visit or stopped in and and visited with people. Um, We now have a phenomenal program for um, called Give Them a Break for um, patients with, with Alzheimer's that allows family members to go out and take a moment and breathe and for the patient themselves to to be able to engage and participate with other people. And, and that program is doing really well and is being expanded because of the, the demand for it. And, and people don't have to pay for these services. That's, that's the key piece that I think is incredible that we raise money, we get grants, we, um, we do all of this with two full-time people, right? I mean, (laughs) and how many volunteers are we up to at this point in time? We're right around 150. That's not very many for a landmass the size of the state. (laughs) Of Rhode Island. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. We can, we can always use more volunteers for sure. And how many people are seeking services? Uh, we've got about 600 on our rolls. Wow. So being the math person that I am. <laughs> so we have 600 people that need our services. We have 150 people to provide them. So that's four people per volunteer right now. Yeah. And some people are doing a lot more and some a lot less, right? Yeah, you could look at it like that for sure. I, I look at it as um, like if our, for the average time of a volunteer is a little over four hours per month. Which that's a total doable number. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if people are looking to volunteer their time, four hours a month is a completely doable number. You know, one of the things that I always loved about volunteering is – um, the conversations, um, majority of the time for me, anyways, the person is, well, all of the time, the person was older than I was and, um, always had some wisdom that they would share no matter what. (laughs) And, you know, the conversations were always striking to me. Um, what are some of the other things that other volunteers will say? They'll tell me that, they know they get more out of volunteering than they put into it. Every person, I swear, every volunteer that's ever started will say that, that they almost feel like they're cheating somehow by, by getting so much out of it. And I think that's a, that's a sign of a, a good, healthy program and a good, healthy motivation to serve. I would agree with that. <laughs> Very much so. What are the biggest struggles with the organization being a non-for-profit? It's, it's uh, keeping funding coming in. Like you mentioned before, we write grants and we have some support from the County Office for Aging, from the United Way. But what happens is, is you get kind of stuck in a, in a niche where, where you're getting the same funding, even though your organization is growing, uh, you'll get the same amount from a grant uh, no matter how much you try to prove that you need more, it seems like once you're there, you're there. Uh, so finding other sources to supplement income, finding, uh, you know, expanding our mailing list so we get more donations that way. It's it's always a challenge. Yeah, that, that would be the, the hardest thing. And do you feel that there are ways that have been unexplored for volunteers to be able to get involved with the organization and the financial aspect you mean uh no i mean just i mean certainly if they want to donate that's great but i mean we do reimburse for mileage if people are interested and they can't i think some people don't volunteer because they think well i can't afford gas or whatever and we do reimburse for that if we do if people are interested um but are there other things that people can be doing if they if they can't get out of the house, for example, if they can't, um, oh yeah, you know, if they're a little bit homebound, are there people that they think they can't volunteer, but in reality they can volunteer even if they can't do transportation? Oh no, that's absolutely uh, an opportunity. We have some 
some people who are dual recipients and volunteers because they can make phone calls, uh, phone calls to other people that are shut in, not able to get out, lonely, because isolation is just such a huge problem with the elderly. They've lost their ability to to get out and socialize like they used to, or they've lost their circle of friends that they used to socialize with. So life shrinks down to the size of their living room and their TV set. And depression is quite high. Oh, it is. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's, an, that's something that um, studies have shown that when you become isolated like that, depression is definitely, definitely increases considerably. It does. And, and on the flip side of that, Amy, uh, one of the benefits of being a volunteer is it actually helps with depression. Um, as having, as someone that struggled with depression myself, you, you turn in on yourself and that just exacerbates the problem. So if you can bring yourself to go out and actually help someone, help somebody else out, it does tremendous benefit for your own state of mental well-being as well. Interesting. So kind of digging into like the, the ideal um, both recipient as well as uh, volunteer, how would you define, and, and I don't want people to think, well, if you don't fit within this category that you're not a good fit for the organization, but, you know, ideally what, what is a good volunteer look like and what does a good recipient look like? Well, a good recipient looks like somebody who has, um, who has tried their best to get what they need done whether it's getting to the doctors or having someone help them change their sheets, but mm -hmm. they've just come to their, to their end of their rope. They can't do it themselves. So they give us a call and we give that little bit of extra help that they need. That's a, and that really does keep people in their homes. That little bit of help really does keep people in their homes. It really does. Yeah, it really does. I mean, we have people, of course, that do friendly visiting, that do grocery shopping for these individuals because, you know, it's hard to get out to the grocery store and to not just get out to the grocery store, but to get everything that you need there, to get it home, to get it put away. We have volunteers that are more than happy to do that. So that's you. Uh, so that's... And Go ahead, Amy. Um, I was going to say, and how about on the volunteer side? The volunteer, what makes a good faith in action volunteer is keeping correct motivation. And what I mean by that is, is and I tell all of our volunteers during our orientation, this very thing that we have to keep our eye on the need because, you know, with our recipients, we have some really wonderful people that will, that are so grateful for every little kindness that's done for them that will absolutely Worship the ground that you walk on as a volunteer. We'll thank you profusely, and you'll go away on a cloud. And then we have some or some recipients that are a little cantankerous. <laughs> Maybe life's just not been good to them, and they haven't really smiled since sometime in the '60s. And oh, oh. Yeah, and nothing, you know, nothing that you do is really going to change that. You're going to get criticized for being in the wrong lane, for parking too far away, for anything. So if a volunteer's motivation is to get stroked, if a volunteer's motivation is to receive that gratitude all the time, they're probably not going to be a long-lived volunteer. But if they can recognize that that cantankerous person and that sweet, lovely, grateful person have the very same need and they're meeting that need. If that's what can motivate them, then they're with us long-term. And I, I got to say that we very seldom lose any volunteers. What do you, when you think about like your, um, what kind of legacy you want to leave and having worked with this organization, what, what is it that you'd like to see achieved with faith in action? Well, I'd like to see it continue to spread around the area 
there are neighboring counties that call on us and we just don't have volunteers. We don't have right now the capacity to push out those boundaries any further. I'd really love to see that. I'd love to have that not just be a legacy, but be something that I can set up the next director for. Well, we hope that you continue for a very long time. So, <laughs> but we understand, you know, that that's something that, I mean, as an organization, we should always be thinking about that and, and would love some ideas and if people have them around that, that restriction, because right now the restriction is more around funding and, and volunteers. Yeah. Well, it's not about the drive. Right. No, Exactly. That's why you mentioned the give them a break program earlier. And what that is, is a, it's a caregiver's respite program, whereby for four hours a week, we do this on Thursdays in Hornell from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Individuals who are caregiving for their loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's disease, something like that, can drop them off with us for four hours. We've got trained volunteers. We provide uh, lunch, snacks, activities, music, um, exercise, all kinds of fun stuff. It is one of the most fun programs. If I ever get time on Thursdays, I love to go visit um, because it's just wonderful. It keeps these folks with Alzheimer's and dementia doing things and they're happy and laughing. And it allows their caregiver to go out and tend to themselves for four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're just going and just going back to their houses where it's quiet and spending some time there mm-hmm. and, or they're going out and getting the groceries themselves without having to, to take their loved one with them. And, you know, have that or the stress of leaving them alone and worrying about something happening to right. them. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So as far as legacy, yeah that, I'd love to see that program continue to expand. I think it will. It's, it is so needed. Uh, we've expanded services over the years, um, you know, in, in many different ways. We've tried a couple different things that we've discovered we didn't have the manpower for, but we we tried it, right? And um, this particular program, I think in particular, will, I, th- I think that will continue to grow because there's not a lot in our area that offers that kind of service. And it was kind of slow to be adopted, but I think for those that have adopted it and it it's now it's they're very comfortable with it and it is starting to really take off. It is. It is. It's a hard thing for, for caregivers to relinquish control of their loved one to strangers for a few hours. So, so we always encourage them to, to come and stay with them as long as they want. Um, And every time, every time on a first visit that's happened within an hour they're ready to go and feel completely comfortable. So kind of moving along into the the area of you as a a person a little bit too, your wife, who is a lovely woman who also works in human services. Uh, um, Aging, we work with the same clientele. And Kathy and I have had a lot of discussions over the years. She um, does a lot of the consulting around Medicare open enrollment time. And, you know, the, the struggle that our seniors have with um, understanding their options and what plans are best for them. And, um, you know, when they find somebody as caring as you and, and Kathy are, they, they really do appreciate that you're patient with them and that you'll talk them through it and, you know, repeat yourself several times without getting frustrated and walk through and, and, and they're relaying a lot of very confidential, sensitive information to you in both cases, right? Because if there's any kind of medical consequences, we need to know about those. And Kathy certainly needs to, when she's working with, um, you know, people within the, the Medicare program, but you've also raised two lovely children who have adorable grandchildren, (laughs) Talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the concerns that you have for you and your family members being that you're 
you know, in that both of you in the, the line of service and what I consider the line of service, because, you know, we are defined by what's in the air, right? And being that both of you have worked in those kinds of environments predominantly, um, tell us a little bit about the financial concerns you have for you, for you and your, your family members uh, based on those influences. Well, we see, of course, that, that well, <clears throat> little history, my, my mom had dementia for the last 14 years of her life. And I was very blessed to have three sisters, one of whom lived with her and the other two who, who spent a lot of time taking care of her. Um, I had the, the duty of being the power of attorney, paying the bills and uh, making sure the maintenance was done on the house and coming by to visit every once in a while. But just seeing how that was, that was an excellent situation that you don't see very often. Kathy's parents now are in a similar situation where um, they have 24 hours of care and Kathy's down there four or five, sometimes six or seven days a week uh, to help with this or that. And there's a lot of expense that goes into having paid caregivers. So we don't want to be a burden on our children. So, you know, we're planning for that so that, you know, if, if the time comes when, you know, our health turns south, we just aren't, nobody pictures themselves being frail and elderly. We all want to be that 98-year-old who's mm-hmm. still driving and writing their own checks and doing crossword puzzles. But, you know, the fact is we may not. So we want to be prepared so that we're not overburdening our children because, you know, children, don't, mm-hmm. they don't live in the same town as we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's a good thing. And for your children as they, um, because they're both in service oriented careers. Yeah. <laughs> that. I don't know why they picked that. <laughs> wonder where they learned that from. <laughs> it's funny. I, back when they were growing up, for every holiday, when I was working for the Allegheny Ark, every holiday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Easter, we'd always have one or two of the people from the the home for the developmentally disabled folks come and join us for the meal. And it got them very comfortable with people that were a little different than them. Got them very comfortable and it's really carried over. So really very, very proud of my kids. Their son, Joel, is a social worker up in Buffalo at Children's Hospital. And our daughter's a first grade teacher. So yeah, they're, they're doing great. And as a, as a teacher, the challenge is I've, I've definitely seen my teacher friends um, have, you know, more significant challenges over the last few years um, with the school budgets. And, you know, anybody who works for any kind of government job is always going to be worrying about budget and budget cuts, uh, especially in, you know, if there's any kind of economic recession that takes place. But um, they've both been in their fields long enough that, you know, for tenure that it's, I'm not saying it won't happen, but it's unlikely, at least from that perspective, that they would see any negative from that angle. But it's it's probably very interesting for you to be, and I've talked to other parents that are now grandparents, when they're watching their kids raise their grandchildren and some of the influences that you've had on on your upbringing and how they're, you know, doing it their own way or incorporating some of those upbringings. Um, so I'd love to hear when we, when we talk to people about their passions in life, um, I'd love to hear how you might be, how your passions and your journey has influenced your family and your vineyard. Well, as I said, the, the, the kids through, because of both Kathy and I, the kids are both, I think, in service and social social services uh, so that's been an influence now how I think we influenced the, the raising of the kids we again we didn't have a whole lot the kids didn't have a lot they didn't get something every time we went to the store they learned that that they needed to save their money and buy what they what they wanted and once they spent the money it was gone and and you have to start over so I think that 
they're instilling that in their own children. Matter of fact, I saw Max as my uh, oldest grandchild. He's five. And he just went through with his mother. He just went through the, uh, is it, I believe, uh, Rachel Cruz. They had some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, she's, yeah. Uh, Childs, we got him for Christmas. We got him a piggy bank and a uh, that book to go through with his mom. Um, and it taught him how to, you know, how to save and how to distribute the funds. Here's some for giving, here's some for, and that was a nice workbook. And he loved doing it so much with his mother that when they hit the last page, he cried. <laughs> he didn't want it to be over. He loved the time that he was spending with her and he's learned so much about it. So that's kind of a little man after my heart. Fun to watch. It's great to watch. And I, I know you know how important that is. It is. I um, I had a blessed moment the other day that um, I went to a townhome HOA meeting down in Florida, and I had done something earlier this month, earlier part of March, where we had um, invited some kids in the community to come in and get some financial education. And, you know, one of the things I always talk about when I'm talking with kids is about the magic of just letting your money sit in a bank and how it just grows by not doing anything, just by letting it sit there. And um, I used some coins when I was doing the demonstrating. And we also did the give, save, um, spend, you know, jars. Um, so the, one of the moms of the kids that attended the event came up to me at this HOA meeting that I went to and she said, Hey, I was really hoping you were coming tonight. I wanted to tell you my son's 10th birthday was just this past weekend. And, uh, he was so excited that he got a check from his grandma and he wanted to get it deposited into the bank so that he would start earning money. immediately." <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, you know, spoiler alert, that's uh, that's the whole premise behind Mary Poppins Returns, by the way, which we just watched with the grandchildren. So. I'll have to watch that. I haven't seen that. So, yeah, I mean, that's exciting when you can see kids. When, the, when, when that light bulb goes off at that young of an age and they get it and then they see it, you know, then it's so exciting when you see those influences and, and know that you know, some of the things that you did in your life really did start those, those passions. Yeah. I'd like, um, so oh, go ahead. No, go I'd, ahead. I'd like to say that I had that going on since, you know, going down with my mom to put money in those club accounts, but in young adulthood, um, I got a credit card. Yeah. And, uh, I did what, what many people do once was I used it and then realized that, yeah, you got to pay this back and they have exorbitant interest rates and got a little bit behind and had to do one of those consolidation loans that nobody wants to do and no bank wants to give you. So did that one time and learned, learned a hard lesson. And I think it stuck with us. So that would probably be when I ask the people, when I ask people, what, what's the best financial advice you ever received or um, the worst financial advice you ever received it probably could fit into that one of those categories. Maybe it wasn't advice, but it was actions. <laughs> oh yeah, that was yeah, that was definitely the worst action was was getting that credit card and then thinking that I could use it on the on the promise of the money I was going to be making, which mm-hmm. which was really hit or miss at that time. More miss, have you miss ever, than hit. <laughs> have you ever received advice that you thought was just, man, that was great advice and it worked out really well for you? It was not so much financial advice as it was uh, just life advice, career advice. And that was from my father who said, it's just as important to know what you don't want to do as it is to what you do want to mm. do. And I went through a lot of, I don't want to do this. <laughs> before I finally found the, I do want to do this. (laughs) Interesting. That is great advice. And how about advice that you've received that, you know, I I hate to use the word worst financial advice, but maybe wasn't the right advice for you. Well, I think I, I almost got caught up in a, in a real estate and some real estate, deals that that uh, might have been good for someone that had a different personality than me 
but definitely wasn't good for me. And it, it was really very close to, to going down a road that I think I would have regretted. Some people can just buy property and flip it. And uh, I'm not that kind of person. I, that makes me nervous. So, so we decided not to get into that. And very thankfully, because I've seen the life of the person that did end up doing it and really not a life of peace that I want to, that I want to have. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, your gut instinct kicked in on that advice and, and pulled you back by the sounds. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I, I know, I know who I am and, and how I operate and I'm often way too close to deadlines and <laughs> not, not as good of a planner as I wish I were. So, so that kind of, that kind of life wouldn't have served me or my family very well. <laughs> So in closing, I really appreciate you taking the time to, um, you know, share about your life, about the organization that I love so much. Um, but I do want to ask just a couple of closing questions because I'm always just so intrigued. And I, I know this is from feedback that I've received from other people. This is sort of the favorite part of the show. Um, what is your definition of success? Uh, success is being able to put your head on the pillow and, and sleep well at night, uh, knowing that you've been honest in all your dealings. And, and yeah, that, that's pretty much it right there. Honesty is, is number one. Mm-hmm. And what feeds your soul? Well, my faith, uh, my faith have uh, strong faith in God and you know, with that comes the reality that the understanding that everything's going to be all right, that that there's God who's sovereign, who's in control, uh, which doesn't mean I can lock my fingers and kick up my feet. It means there's work to do. One of my favorite sayings is, is pray toward heaven, row toward shore. And it just means there's, there's work for me to do. Uh, but God's still there. He's still there directing the course and, and helping. And there's a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. And is there one piece of advice you'd give to listeners or is there anything about faith in action that we haven't talked about that you'd love to share? Well, let's see. Um, as far as advice, let's see. <laughs> this this is going to seem, well, you You'll agree with it, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> get a credit check every year. <laughs> that, that, yes. that, that's a big thing. We're we're going through some difficult times right now with with one of the kids. Just and uh, if if that had been done, a credit check had been done early on, uh, would have caught a lot of stuff. Probably wouldn't have gotten to the magnitude that it is right now. And they're free. So as a couple, as a married couple, sit down and do it together. Uh, yeah, just, and it's, it doesn't mean you don't trust the other person. It just means let's see if there's been any activity we weren't aware of. Right, right. I, you know, that's some of the things that we do. And I absolutely agree. I'm so glad you shared that advice because, you know, sometimes it's not anything anybody has done. It's just an error that, especially if you have one of those common names, like, you know, with the last name Smith or you right, know, right. any of those names, um, it, you know, it, it is so easy that it could go on to, on to your credit report versus, um, versus the person that it belongs to. And it is so important. You know, you can sign up for Credit Karma and you can monitor your credit. I wouldn't depend on that credit score necessarily, but I, you can at least monitor your credit reports through Credit Karma. You can pull your annual credit report for free from each of the three uh, credit reporting services each year. Um, it's good to sit down and, and look at the credit health that you have. And I would absolutely agree with that, that um, catch it early and and it won't be as much of a problem to solve. But if you catch it late, 
it can still be repaired, but the emotional and, you know, amount of stress that you go through during that process is pretty significant. It's quite a process to have to recover your credit history and credit, um, you know, improve your credit score and, and prove that it's, it's truly fraudulent activity and not yours. Oh, yeah. Preach it, sister. <laughs> I'd stand on a podium and shout that one. <laughs> um, so we mentioned, you mentioned earlier is that you like Dr. Frank's uh, Riesling. That's your favorite wine. Is there a particular type of food that you, cause you mentioned you like to cook with it too, that you like to cook with it or that you like to enjoy with it? I, I like to make a, a lemon artichoke chicken dish. <clears throat> yeah. That uses a uh, white wine. And if I've got just cooking wine, I'll use that because I hate to use, hate to waste the Dr. Frank's and, mm-hmm. and cooking. <laughs> but yeah, it's an, it's a great meal. Come has a nice white sauce with it. Just pound down the chicken to a two, a two chicken breasts, pound them down to a half an inch, brown them a little bit. And yeah. Artichokes and lemon. It's very good. It's one of the dishes I can get Kathy to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds delicious to me. <laughs> Thank you again for taking time out of your, I know it's a very busy schedule right now, and for leading Faith in Action down an amazing growth path over the last, uh, well, 57, 17 years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course um, it's been a joy being a volunteer, being a board member, um, seeing this organization just turn into an amazing service organization and on a very shoestring budget. So um, do really appreciate you taking time out of your day and, and for all your service that you've offered to the community, Dick. Thank you so much. Oh, Amy, thank you so much, too. And you have played no small part in the success that Faith in Action's had. I really appreciate you as a as a board member, as a president, as a treasurer now, and as a volunteer. And just a different well, encouraging friend. I very much appreciate it. Near and dear to my heart. So <laughs> thanks again. And that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise. Or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook. We will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening.